It is Tuesday, November 29th, 2022, and this is Ozarks at Large on KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us. The 2022 midterm elections are not quite over everywhere in Arkansas. A few runoff races take place next month, and early voting for those races begins today. There are runoff elections for city council positions in Rogers, Springdale, and Bella Vista, and for mayor in several area communities. The actual date for the runoffs is December 9th. Also today, it's Giving Tuesday, a day many nonprofit organizations use to reach out to donors. One nonprofit that receives attention this time of year and is in operation no matter the time of year is the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank. Food prices hit record highs this year throughout the United States, and despite cooling inflation this past month, food costs are still around 25 percent higher than before the pandemic and 12 percent higher than in 2021. That's according to numbers from the United States Department of Agriculture. Julie Damer is with the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank and says the organization has seen more need recently because of these economic strains. Well, in 2021, we provided 11.3 million meals and distributed over 14 million pounds of food in the Northwest Arkansas region. We're on track to do that, if not more, for this year. Arkansas has one of the highest rates of food insecurity in the nation, with one in seven people at risk of extreme hunger and 12 percent of households in the state relying on SNAP benefits. That's according to a 2020 study from Feeding America. Damer says need generally increases around the holidays. A lot of the you know families have additional family members coming in that, that causes additional expense and need for food. Um, with schools being out, you know, the children aren't getting the breakfast and lunches that they're normally getting at school. So the need is going to be increased during that, during that time period as well. And then with inflation, you know, um, everything is costing a little bit more these days. And for those that are already stretched, um, trying to make ends meet, you know, inflation has just uh, really put a hit on them and making food choices a little bit um, tougher this time of year. She says inflation is also taking a toll on the food bank's operations. The cost of goods are going up, the cost of fuel is going up, and so yes, our budget has um, dramatically increased on the purchasing of food this year. Honest, honestly, it's everything. It's canned goods, it's um, protein, you know, protein has skyrocketed, but it's it's everything. It's paper goods, it's um, uh, rice, it's beans, it's, there's not just one item, it's, it's everything across the board. That's Julie Damer with the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank. A few more nonprofit notes for this Giving Tuesday. You might recall earlier this month we talked about the cast of the Smokehouse Players production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. The first night of the run was a fundraiser for Magdalene Serenity House. Their effort raised $10,715. And the Samaritan Community Center opened their Samaritan cafes in both Springdale and Rogers on Thursday and serve more than 900 Thanksgiving meals. A statement from the group reports in addition to those holiday meals, they provided groceries for nearly 150 area families and distributed 175 turkeys. This is Ozarks at Large. State Senator Joyce Elliott is leaving the Arkansas legislature after being in either the House or Senate for most of the last 20 years. But she's not going to be very far from the legislative process. The Little Rock Democrat is the executive director of Get Loud Arkansas, an organization dedicated to registering new voters and mobilizing voters year-round. This weekend, she joined Roby Brock with our partner Talk Business and Politics to discuss voting, the upcoming Arkansas legislative session, 
and education. Roby began the conversation with a discussion about voter turnout for this month's Arkansas midterm elections. 900,000 people voted, 906,000, 907,000 out of 1.8 million. How are you going to change that? Well, we'll have to continue doing more of what we did in these nine months that we've been in existence. Um, it's you can't really, fix it in nine months? I can't Come fix on. it in nine months. I mean, <laughs> you can have a baby in nine months. What's up with that? Um, but one of the things, one of the things we, we have found out uh, that's really promising, uh, we haven't had a chance to dig into all the data yet, but uh, of the folks who really increased their turnout uh, that where we worked were the young people, 18 to 30. And that was uh, national. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. mm-hmm. and it happened in Arkansas as well. And I was, I was, we were so pleased about that. We knew when we were out uh, doing the work, we kept seeing all of these young people show up, and a lot of them would show up to uh, to even be volunteers. And that was just, just made me feel so good about the possibilities for Arkansas because, of course, we say, you know, the young people happen to be our future, but I think they're feeling that as well. Uh, the other thing that we, we know that's going to be really difficult, people who don't have a legacy of voting, maybe they came from families that are not voting, and we have to target them too. That is really, really hard work. Um, another thing that surprised us, there are places where people are highly... Uh, registered, but they're not voting. Mm -hmm. And so much of the work that we did was getting to those people who are registered but not voting, and why are they not voting? And people don't tend not to understand this. They don't know how to vote, and that's intimidating. They are afraid of being embarrassed. They don't know what to expect when they walk through that door. And so we have to, a part of our mission is education. So we are going to be year round. We're not going to be here, you know, just in the political season. Of the election season, so we know we have to do some serious one-on-one teaching with people. I have got, I've spoken to three Rotary clubs since election day, mm-hmm. just um, by nature and virtue of some pre um, uh, pre-made appointments there. And one of the questions I've got at every single one of them is, how do you get more people engaged to vote? My mm-hmm. answer has been, politicians and people trying to get people to vote have got to speak their language. There has to be a reason, something personal for them to feel like I'm going to vote because this matters. And I think some of those people that don't vote, don't vote because they don't don't think their vote matters or they don't think their voice Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. issues that are concerning to them are gonna be represented. Is is there more to it than that? Yes, there is. Uh, People, we need to speak their language, that's for sure. But one of the one of the ways as a teacher, I had to use so many different strategies to get something out of a student and learn what's on their mind. So one of the things that we do a lot is ask them, what would you like to see changed? What 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 matters to you rather than guessing about it? Because if you come at it that way, you're opening a conversation from their standpoint. And then my my challenge always is tell me about it. And I guarantee you, I can show you how it's connected to voting. And then you can have an extended conversation when you start that way, not about me, but about you. The other reason people are not voting is we make it hard for people to vote. And for somebody like you or me, the average person out there who who has transportation, you have childcare, maybe you don't have any children at all, maybe, it turns out that the voting center is right where you are, not 30, 45 miles away. We don't make it easy. People cannot, we cannot register online. You have to wait until generally, you can do it on your own, but generally people have to wait, people have to wait, wait until somebody like Get Loud Arkansas shows up and shows them how to do that. And 
that's one of the main things we could do is make it easy for people to vote. Uh, if you work, for example, say you work a swing shift from 3 till 11, you go to work at 3 o'clock, you get off at 11, you come home, you get a little sleep, and you're doing all the things you need to do before you go back to work. Where and there did you get any time to vote? Yep. So, you know, there are lots of things we can do to make it easier. I have a friend in California that for the first election cycle out there, and he got his mail-in ballot. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, right. just provide, everybody gets a mail-in ballot right. sort of thing there. It, it won't happen here anytime soon, but yeah. uh -huh. he just talked about how easy it was. He's like, I just mm -hmm. filled it out and dropped it in the mail, and I was done. I didn't have to go stand in line. I didn't mm -hmm. have to worry about, you know, any kind of intimidation of signs and people mm -hmm. and not knowing what to do. And, uh, yeah. It was interesting. But so. one, one other thing about that, too, is th there is no, I, I have yet to, to have somebody give me a good reason why we don't send people a ballot, even if you but request allegations one. Allegations of fraud and, uh, allegations. and concerns about yeah. potential but, fraud. But, but here's the thing. When, when you turn it in, if you go and you vote at a site, somebody checks that. Right. The same thing happens if you vote by mail. And that if we really wanted to do that, we could do that as well. Yeah. Um, but that, that means you, you have to really be committed to making it much easier for people to vote. But we could do it. All right. The legislature convenes in January. You won't be there for the first time in many years. Yes. We won't count them. But um, yes. will you be in the hallways up there? I will sometime. Yeah. I'm certainly going to give them my space. <laughs> uh, but I, I will be there sometimes just because, you know, I'm a citizen. I will show up to to participate. I don't think I could be out there as Get Loud Arkansas doing civic engagement work and not continue to be engaged myself and that would be a major way I will be engaged because there are issues that are going to be you know uh, on the docket that I'm really really concerned about. Let's talk about one of those and that's yeah. education. Um, yeah. There's going to be a lot on the education agenda. As a matter of fact I think that this legislative session will be defined by the education debates that are up there. Mm -hmm. uh, there'll be some um, probably some prison and sentencing stuff as well but education is going to be huge. The governor-elect wants education to be big Let's talk about the reading uh, portion of what's been discussed out there. Okay. That sounds like something that could have some bipartisan consensus. Everybody wants kids to be able to read by the age of, of, of eight, third grade. Mm -hmm. um, what are you hearing that you think is good idea in that space? What are you hearing that you think is bad idea in that what space? What I'm hearing that's good is, is it's, it has people's attention. Uh, and I think that's a really good thing. But I think we need to be careful about assuming because something has my attention, I know what to do just because I have some philosophy perhaps about reading that's not based on good evidence. Uh, for example, there are folks who really care about reading who think that that's the only thing we should concentrate on. And when they say well, you're that- You're referring to Senator Hester's interview yeah, with Senator Hester, where, but he's, right, not the yeah. he's not the only one. Right. The problem with that is, if you don't know about education and reading, you assume when you teach reading, you just teach reading, but you teach reading by teaching other subjects as right. well. Like history. It's, yeah, it's like, exactly. kind of like, you know, history, science, you know, things, literature, things of that nature. So I think if we start off with, with, with uh, just scaling down the whole of education for kids, that would be a big mistake because many students will learn how to read because there is something they really care about and want to read. And, and they will practice their reading, which is something kids need to do when they learn you know, the basics of reading. And it's really important too that people understand 
not every child is going to learn how to read at the same rate and at right. the same time. So we say we want kids to know how to read by third grade. That would be wonderful. But what if they don't? We're not going to stop teaching them to read. So I think right. we need to have that goal. That's perfectly fine. But don't act as if a child is a lost cause because you're not reading right. on whatever level by third grade. Because when we say a child is lost, that a child can only be lost if that is the decision of adults. That a child doesn't say, well, I can't read by third grade, so that's it. Yeah. We made that up. State Senator Joyce Elliott spoke with Roby Brock with our partner, Talk Business and Politics. There is more of the conversation at talkbusiness.net. As we mentioned at the beginning of our show, December 9th is runoff election day, but early voting begins today in Arkansas. Runoffs are happening in Washington, Benton, and Crawford counties. Benton County runoffs include the race for Bella Vista mayor and three different council positions, two Bentonville school board seats, one Rogers, and one Springdale council member position. The mayor's race for Farmington in Washington County and Alma in Crawford County will also be decided in the runoff election. Turnout for these elections is typically much lower than during the general election, so be sure to check voterview.ar to see if you are eligible to vote for any candidates in this year's runoff election. And it's also important to remember that you can vote in a runoff election even if you did not vote in the general election. Just ahead on our show, local LGBTQ plus institutions and activists are taking stock after yet another deadly mass shooting. The anti-LGBTQ rhetoric urging violence is really working to radicalize white men to kill queer people. That's in just a couple of minutes on today's show. Walton Art Center's 10 by 10 art series presents The Swingles Together for the Holidays Tour, Sunday, December 4th at 4 p.m. A renowned London-based a cappella group, The Swingles, will present folk and jazz-inspired original songs, traditional carols, and festive favorites from five decades of holiday releases. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. Happy Holidays from the KUAF and Friends Holiday Giveaway. This is your chance to win a gift from one of many generous KUAF underwriters. Participants include Woodstone Craft Pizza, Botanical Garden of the Ozarks, the Commons Bar and Cafe at Theater Squared, and more. Winners announced Friday, December 9th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Details and registration are available at KUAF.com. Testimony in a federal trial challenging Arkansas's ban on gender-affirming care for those under the age of 18 is expected to wrap up on Thursday. That's according to attorneys for the state who are defending the law passed last year by the legislature. Yesterday, the state called to the stand clinical psychiatrist Dr. Stephen Barrett-Levin of Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine in Ohio. KUAR's Josie Lenora is covering the trial. He thinks that the gender identity clinic should not give hormones out to children under the age of 18. He gesticulated a lot and talked a lot about the messinessness of life. He talked a lot about comorbidities. He said that um, transgender children almost always have some kind of comorbidity between uh, learning disabilities, physical abuse, sexual abuse, autism. He went through everything, mental illness, anxiety, depression. And he said that that was um, needed to be looked at, the comorbidity. He thought that genital surgeries are overused on minors because it could cause infertility. I just want to reemphasize that they don't use genital surgeries on minors in Arkansas before or after this law. It was never happening. He said that they don't use enough psychotherapy on transgender kids. Again, in Arkansas, you had to be in therapy to get transgender health care. 
The lawsuit was brought by the ACLU on behalf of the families of four transgender young people. The law, which was the first of its kind to be passed in the U.S., prohibits things like puberty blockers or hormones being given to children. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson is criticizing former President Donald Trump for having dinner last week with a white supremacist. While many in the Republican Party have been silent on the meeting with Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes at Mar-a-Lago, Hutchinson said in an interview with CNN that it sets a bad example. I don't think it's a good idea for a a leader that's setting an example for the country or the party to meet with avowed uh, racist or anti-Semite. And so it's very troubling, and it shouldn't happen, and uh, we need to avoid those kinds of empowering the extremes. And when you meet with people, you empower, and that's what you have to avoid. Hutchinson said inadvertent meetings can happen, but that Trump should have immediately condemned Fuentes. In his podcast, Fuentes has recently demanded Jews leave the United States and suggested military troops be sent into black neighborhoods. Hutchinson, who is considering a run for president, made his comments Sunday on CNN's program, State of the Union. American LGBTQ plus clubs and bars have long served as cultural safe havens, but such places are now targets for deadly mass shootings, most, re- most recently at Club Q in Colorado Springs. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich spoke with a local LGBTQ plus civil rights activist, as well as a scholar about the consequences. Megan Tullock, like many LGBTQ plus Arkansans, watched the news unfold about a mass shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs. In the early hours of Sunday, November 20th, the attack left five dead, as many as 20 injured, and a community in terror. Tullock serves as Director of Programs and Advocacy for Northwest Arkansas Equality in Fayetteville. That day was Trans Day of Remembrance and also Rainbow Thanksgiving. The annual Transgender Day of Remembrance observance honors the memory of transgender people who lost their lives to bias violence. And Queer Thanksgiving are annual events, especially for LGBTQ plus families and friends, to safely gather Instead, Tullock says, she and staff spent that day responding to media and calls about the implications of a mass shooting just two states away. It was very easy that day to get right to work, and I think that our focus that day, there's like the the grief, the lack of surprise, and then the immediate opportunity to get to work to provide community for um, the LGBTQ world here in Northwest Arkansas. According to Williams Institute at UCLA School of Law, Arkansas counts 95,000 LGBT people aged 13 and older in 2020. Nearly one-fifth are transgender. The Colorado Springs shooter reportedly faces five counts of first-degree murder and five counts of bias-motivated crime. While this shooting is horrific and so sad and the five people who died and the 20 plus people who were injured that day it's just so terrible i think in an environment that where we have hatred towards lgbtq people baked into the news every day um and mass shootings all the time i don't i don't think that it's surprising Six years ago, a mass shooting at Pulse Nightclub, a predominantly Latino queer gathering spot in Orlando, Florida, left 49 people dead and 58 people injured. Historically pervasive violence against LGBTQ plus people 
rather than quelling this century, is rising, data show, due to right-wing influencers in conservative media and politics. Leading the way is Colorado Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, here trashing the Equality Act, a federally proposed bill designed to protect LGBTQ plus civil rights. There is nothing about equality in that act. If anything, um, it's it's the um, it's it's supremacy of uh, of gays and and lesbians and and uh, transvestites. Bobert apparently unwilling to say the word transgender. That clip courtesy Fox News. In public speeches, she also refers to transgender people as sexual predators and child molesters. Early this summer, 30 armed white patriots were reportedly arrested in Idaho just as they were preparing to disrupt a pride event, convinced they were protecting families and children from harm. Anti-LGBTQ rhetoric urging violence is really working to radicalize white men to kill queer people. Lisa Corrigan is a professor of communication and director of the Gender Studies Program at the University of Arkansas. She monitors LGBTQ plus bias crime, including a surge in threats against drag queens, increasingly targeted by hate groups now, allegedly for sexually grooming and luring young children. As we reported in late August, an inclusive back-to-school festival at Fayetteville Public Library for LGBTQ plus middle and high school students was forced to cancel due to threats of violence. And despite a total lack of evidence, the language of LGBTQ plus predators and grooming really just functions to dehumanize queer people to facilitate violence against them. It's really just classic scapegoating designed to disenfranchise and destroy LGBTQ people and normalize public violence against them. The normalization of LGBTQ plus bias violence is being traced to conservative majority state legislatures proposing This year alone, over 340 anti-LGBTQ plus civil rights measures, with Arkansas leading the way in 2021, passing some of the first anti-trans laws in the nation. The difference is the shift in public acceptance um, and interest in public violence against LGBTQ people as a way of managing white dysregulation and gender dysregulation among straight people regarding the public rights of of minorities, sexual and racial. So the, the projection of the violence is about undermining the political rights of minority people fundamentally. On Facebook, C4 Nightclub and Lounge, a popular LGBTQ plus gathering spot in Fayetteville messaged the importance of voting now, voting out hate, and voting for political leaders who support love and acceptance. Northwest Arkansas Center for Equality spokesperson Megan Tullock says she and staff routinely receive threats now, both voice and social messaging Local law enforcement are made aware, she says, and have worked to protect their headquarters and patrol public events. Fayetteville PD and Northwest Arkansas Quality have worked have worked on public safety for years together, um, and that that's a, a relationship that functions well. Um, I mean, we we host thirty thousand people for Pride in June. We can't do that without without their cooperation and their support. 
We've previously queried local law enforcement about any special measures taken to protect LGBTQ plus institutions and events during times like these. Any such measures are kept confidential to protect the public, we are told. Historically, police routinely raided queer establishments, jailing offenders when homosexuality was outlawed across America. That's changed, even in the conservative-majority community of Colorado Springs. Law enforcement press releases cite those murdered at Club Q by their preferred names and pronouns. Tolick says with the 2023 session of the Arkansas General Assembly convening January 9th, her organization plans to meet with lawmakers to encourage them to support LGBTQ plus civil rights. But she also plans to focus internal community support. So as we move into the legislative session, I think some of the most important advocacy that any queer organization can do is about support, giving queer people a chance to be together, um, supporting queer joy and connection. I think when the news is full of violence against queer people, legislative violence against queer people, like when, when it's full of that, it's so tempting to just isolate, to like curl up in your house and hide. Um, it makes you feel alone um, and afraid. And, um, and that is a recipe for a mental health disaster in the queer community. So I think supporting each other through that, thinking about how we can stay resilient through that, how we can be together and support each other through that. Due to rising anti-trans hate rhetoric in particular, the last two years saw record levels of deadly violence against over 100 trans and gender nonconforming people in the U.S., most of them black and brown. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Reuters is reporting the current outbreak of bird flu is the worst in United States history, with flocks in 46 different states reporting cases. But according to a map created by the CDC, there are just two outbreaks so far in Arkansas. A Madison County outbreak affected 56,000 birds on one farm, and a Pope County flock of fewer than 500 birds was affected. The CDC also reports a flock of nearly 14,000 affected in Sequoia County in eastern Oklahoma. Nebraska and Iowa are the states hit the hardest. Cash, the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, is under the interim leadership of Peter Jasso. He will be the interim president and CEO of the arts organization as a search continues to replace the inaugural president and CEO, Allison Esposito. Esposito left this fall to become a senior program officer at Builders Initiative. Jasso has served as director of the Kansas Film Commission and earlier this year became director of operations at Cash. The Fayetteville High School Student Council will hold its 25th annual Homeless Vigil Thursday, December 8th from 5 p.m. to 7 a.m. on Friday the next morning on the north side of the FHS campus. The students will stay in temporary shelters overnight to demonstrate and experience what some families in the school district face. The students will be accepting monetary donations, cash and check, and non-perishable food items, as well as selling Fayetteville High School sweatshirts and hoodies from 5 to 11 that Thursday night. Each sweatshirt will be $20, each hoodie $25, and 100% of the proceeds go to families in the Families in Transition program. The annual Homeless Vigil has helped raise awareness and nearly $161,000 in donations to help reduce homelessness in the school district. All donations are given to Fayetteville Public Schools Families in Transition Program, which aids students and families in the district that qualify through the McKinney-Vento Homelessness Assistance Act. 
Families in Transition provides housing, enrollment, transportation, and community resources to those student families that may be living in cars, motels, campgrounds, parks, public spaces, or other non-permanent housing. The goal for the 2022 Homeless Vigil is to raise $20,000. On the next Resilient Black Women, Joy and Denisha explore the emotion of sadness and the importance of allowing ourselves and others to see and feel an emotion we often want to hide or run away from. Plus, we hear the story of Elizabeth Eckford, who at 15 years old endured unbelievable hatred and harassment as she attempted to attend Central High School as one of the first nine students to integrate the school in 1957. I went to go get the tour from the ranger. Her name was Rebecca. We got to sit at the bench where she sat waiting for the bus stop. And she was like, y'all, at this point, Elizabeth would have been soaked in human saliva. And she was wearing a brand new white dress that her mother had made for her. Listen and subscribe to Resilient Black Women for free at KUAF.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Later this week, the band Little Feet will return to Arkansas with a show Thursday evening at Temple Live in Fort Smith. The band has been through some lineup changes over the years, but Fred Tackett has been a mainstay for the group since even before he was a full member of the band. Tackett, an Arkansas native, has had an illustrious career even outside of his involvement with Little Feet. Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis recently reached Tackett by phone to talk about his career with Little Feet and with other notable touring acts and about how he got started playing music at a young age. I started playing trumpet when I was five years old. My father and my brother were both trumpet players, and they st- my brother started teaching me how to play trumpet when I was five. And then I played trumpet, you know, until I was uh, a few years later, and I started banging on the drums, you know, <laughs> uh, pots and pans and stuff like that. And then uh, when Elvis came along, I uh, said, I got to get a guitar. And my older brother had a friend named Bill Deadman, who was a, fantastic guitar player in Little Rock and he was a big inspiration to me you know so uh, that's what got me on the guitar but it was mainly Elvis I remember when Elvis went to the uh, train to go went to took him to basic training went through Little Rock and everybody went down to the tracks to wave as he went by but I was too young to go (laughs) if you don't mind tell us a little bit about how you became associated with Little Feet. You started performing with them or were at least associated with them before you were a full member of the band, right? Yes, indeed. i tell you the story. As uh, I was basically discovered playing in a club in uh, Honolulu, I was a musical director for a group of Filipino entertainers called the Highbrows. Jimmy Webb, the songwriter who wrote Up, Up, and Away in My Beautiful Balloon in MacArthur Park and a million other gorgeous songs. He was 21 and had just gotten his first money from Up, Up, and Away, and by the time I get to Phoenix, and he took a trip to Honolulu, to Hawaii, and I was playing an instrumental version of Ode to Billy Joe, which was just had become really popular. And uh, he was walking by and heard it and said to his friend of mine, that's Ode to Billy Joe, but since there was no vocal, his friends, who was a drummer, said, no, it's not. And he said, I'll bet you $10. And some guy comes running into my club, runs upstairs, and says, what was that you just played? I said, oh, the Billy Joe. He goes running out of the club again. And about a couple of hours later, when it got to be my last set, about you know midnight or so, this guy comes in, 
And he says, uh, hey, you know, I'm Jimmy Webb, and I want to talk to you about something. And I want to go, that's amazing, because we were just talking about this new songwriter that nobody had ever heard of before, and we were going, look at this. There's two different songs. By the time I get to Phoenix and Up, Up, and Away, they're absolutely, totally two different kinds of songs. And uh, they're both incredibly great. So he says, I'm putting together this band in Hollywood. And we have a house. He rented this big mansion. And he flew me over to L.A. And we had this big, like a reality TV show. This band lived in this 23-bedroom mansion right off Hollywood Boulevard, down the street from Ozzy and Harriet's house. And we had uh, adult supervisor present named Ann Staunton. And her daughter, Patricia, came by. And I, like, fell in love with her instantly. And we became boyfriend and girlfriend. And we've been married for, like, 53 years now. And she lived next door to Lowell George. And at that time, Lowell is playing sitar. And she says, I know this sitar player. And she uh, brought him over to the house. And I come downstairs and Lowell's sitting in the living room, you know, on the floor with a sitar all dressed in white. And he's playing some Indian music. And I said, oh, hey, man, we can like uh, jam with that sitar and play some psychedelic music. And he was, oh, no, I only play sacred Indian music, (laughs) sacred Indian music. And I went, oh, well, okay, I dig it. And three weeks later, he was doing uh, Dirty Water with the Standells. <laughs> Jimmy Webb and I both said, now, this is a guy with some humor we can appreciate. And he became, like, one of our best friends. You know, he became our best friend. He was hanging out at Jimmy's house all the time. But there was a big party going on all the time over there. And so Lowell was over there all the time. And so we were friends with him way before Little Feet. And then he brought Billy Payne in. Billy Payne came because he was trying to get a job with the Mother's Invention. And they said, this guy, Lowell George, is starting a band or wants to start a band. So why don't you hook up with him? Yeah. And so I met Billy and the original band. And that's how uh, I got my first relation with it. It was all because Lowell was our you know, good friend. And Patricia, my wife, lived next door to him. <laughs> <laughs> Now, after forming that friendship, you also performed on a few records uh, from that original lineup with Lowell, right? Yeah, like at Jimmy Webb's house again, he had a studio in his house, and we used to get together and trade songs and demos and recordings we'd made, and I played Lowell and Jimmy a uh, demo of the song, Fool Yourself. Look out, child, you're bound to change, you can't ever stay. Said, oh, I'll have that. <laughs> I'm going I'm to record that on my Dixie Chicken record here. And at that time, Lowell was going around saying, I got this tune. And all he had was, if you'll be my Dixie Chicken, I'll be your Tennessee lamb. And he would talk around going, 
that's going to be my thing. You be my Dixie chicken, I'll be your Tennessee lamb. And he did fool yourself and brought me in to play guitar on that. And then I played guitar with my pencil on Time Loves a Hero. You know, wrote another song. I wrote a song called Be One Now. So, yeah, you know, I was kind of an outside songwriter that he brought in to be an addition to the songwriters in Little Feet. Lowell, you know, as many people know, he passed on and the group took a bit of a hiatus. But when it came back together a few years later, you were made a member of the band. Was it difficult to step into that role in the band when you know Lowell was such a big part of that early phase I was uh, spared a little bit of pressure because Paul Barrer who just recently passed on like a couple of years ago now I guess mm-hmm. uh, Paul moved up to playing slide because I didn't play slide at the time I play slide now but I didn't play slide at all back then. So Paul basically moved into Lowell's slot, and I kind of moved into Paul's <laughs> slot. So he was getting most of the pressure because he was singing the songs and he was playing slide guitar. Right. So he took most of the heat, and I was like basically uh, doing his role in, a, right. in the band. But you say you play slide guitar now. Have you kind of graduated into that role that Paul filled for so many years? No, like now uh, we have a new member named Scott Sherrard, who's an amazing slide guitar player. He was the musical director for Greg Allman for many years. And uh, he's in the band now. And he's an incredible singer who can sing all of Lowell's songs, which Paul and I and Billy, I mean, we do some of them, but there's a lot of some of Lowell's like really beautiful tunes, like Perfect Imperfection and different ones that, uh, you know, they're just really great songs. And nobody really could give them, do them justice, but our new guy is got Sherrard, he can sing the hell out of So, you know, we got a really good thing going now. He plays slide guitar and all kinds of guitar. An amazing guitar player and an amazing singer. So he's doing the Lowell thing now <laughs> very well. So the repertoire in Little Feet, I mean, it's pretty wide-ranging stylistically. I mean, you've got parts of Americana, rock and roll, New Orleans soul, jazz, and a lot of shades in between. Uh is it a challenge to jump around between all of those different styles, or is it just making music to you? It's just making music to us. Uh, well, Lowell used to famously say there, the uh, only rule is there are no rules. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Anything you want to do, you can do. You know, right. uh, whatever kind of music, whatever kind of song you want to write, whatever song you want to do, you know, we'll we'll deal with it <laughs> now you mentioned this a little bit earlier but you're a multi-instrumentalist i mean you play guitar trumpet and mandolin uh just for your own enjoyment what is your favorite instrument to play oh boy i don't know they're all like harsh mistresses you <laughs> <laughs> quote a jimmy webb song you know i play the guitar probably 90 percent of the time i really love to play the guitar but the trumpet is one of those things i've been i was telling someone i've been playing it for 72 years now and it's like 
if you miss a day of practice, you know, you know, it, you know, it's just terrible. And so it's one of these things. It's just you're a slave to this horn. <laughs> you know, it's not really a pretty picture, but it's, you know, it comes out good if you do it. But you really have to devote yourself to it. Guitar, you can take a little time off, but you still have to practice. I have to practice every day now at, at 77, where I, at age I am now. So uh, it's like every day I've got to hit the hit the grind, man, or, or my skill set goes way down. Aside from Little Feet, your resume is really impressive. I mean, you've collaborated with a lot of people. I mean, just a few, Boz Skaggs, Kenny Loggins, Ringo, Judy Collins, Harry Nilsson, Bob Seger, Glenn Campbell, Bob Dylan, Willie Nelson. I mean, you have performed or collaborated with a lot of people over the years. Is there a collaboration that you've done that is your favorite or one that you're particularly proud of? You didn't mention this, but I was talking to someone yesterday. Uh, Tom Waits' Swordfish Trombones has been a big boon to my career, and mm. I really enjoyed doing that record. I sat down and wrote a letter to my wife. I said, baby, I'm so far away from home. that come up from David Hildago from Los Lobos. People just out of the blue I will meet will say, man, stuff that she played on, you know, swordfish trombones, man, that's the deal, you know? And I go, real? Okay. So, I mean, it was just amazing how that record had a lot of influence for me, you know, uh, yeah. a positive influence for me. And I really enjoyed working with Bob Skaggs. It was great. And of course, Bob Dylan was an honor every night just standing on the stage right. with him because I was a huge fan anyway. And just right after Lowell, I was on the road with Lowell George when he died. Mm. And I think about, I don't know, a few weeks after I got back home, I got a call from Bob's office to come down and audition. It turned out uh, Lowell may have even gotten me the job, because Lowell used to go hang out at Bob's house here mm. in Malibu all the time. In fact, if you look on the back of Lowell's solo album, you see him standing with a uh, fishing pole, and it's got like seaweed on the end of it instead of a fish. And that was taken at Bob's house at his like beach where he was packing fishing, you know. Right. And right before I went on the road with Dylan, Lowell told me he had accidentally stepped on one of his acoustic guitars and broken it, you know. <laughs> so that thing, that's how I got in with Dylan was through Lowell, you know. If I'm not mistaken, you toured with Dylan uh, whenever he was doing more of his Christian type music, right? Yeah, it was 79 through 81. Okay. He did Slow Train Coming in 78, I think. Right. And that period for a lot of Dylan purists is not necessarily what a lot of purists would consider his like peak period. What was it like touring with him during that time, though? So that band, the band was amazing. Jim Kelton on drums, Spooner Olin was playing uh, uh, piano, uh, Jim Drummond from uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and all those bands was uh, playing the uh, bass. We had like the best gospel, like six or seven of the best gospel singers in the country. Uh, uh, Terry Evans is a great gospel piano player. So the band was amazing, you know. So I, 
It was just a great honor. It's like just every night was insane, you know. You know, it's wild. We we come to places where people would be, uh, you know, yelling at you know all kinds of stuff at him, and he'd be giving you know little sermons back at him, you know. But he was very funny because he was be talking, he's saying, you know, I was telling these people about Jesus, and I heard this sound. It was like boo. They were making this sound. It sounded like boo. You know, it just <laughs> sounded so ridiculous. Like he couldn't believe it. Wonder what is that, man? What is that boo sound? (laughs) The best night was uh, somebody in San Francisco held a sign up in the front row that said, "Jesus loves your old songs too." (laughs) And I went, "Well, that's a that's a great point." (laughs) So yeah, it was great. It was just you know, it was very exciting. It wasn't just like going out and playing Bob's greatest hits. You know, it was like every night was like a scene, man. You know. (laughs) We had Madeline O'Hara like picketing, you know, the the shows on occasion and stuff. It was, you know, it was just a wild time, you know. And uh, Bob was very, very, very on top of his game at the time, man. He was singing just really great. And uh, he was like a jazz guy. I mean, people always go, oh, you know, he's not singing the songs the way they usually go. And it's because he's improvised. He just improvises like, like a saxophone player would. When he starts to sing the song, he sings the words, but he... He just riffs on the melodies, you know, just like a guitar player playing a solo. You know, it's really great stuff. The guy's an amazing musician, besides being a great songwriter. So it was just, you know, I, I enjoyed every second of it. It was stressful at times, you know, but it was uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> so Little Feet has been, you know, a going concern for, you know, 40, 50 years now. About 53 and you've been with the band like the majority of those years. What is it like touring today versus whenever you first joined the band? The difference is the length of the time that we actually tour. When we started playing again in 1988 or 87, 88, mm-hmm. we would go out for three, two or three, four months in a row, you know, without ever going home. And now we don't go out for more than two and a half, three weeks. You know, yeah. that's it. And uh, at that time, we were all riding on, you know, we had the crew and the band, everybody on the same bus, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just, you know, that was a whole different kind of thing. And it's a lot easier now. <laughs> and also, you know, we were all like uh, 40 years younger, too. So you know, in those days, we could handle it. And we get to spend more time with the family, which was a drag back then, you know, because you'd be gone for, you know, like I said, two or three months. And it's not cool. That was Arkansas native and member of Little Feet, Fred Tackett. He recently spoke with Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis via phone. Little Feet is on tour celebrating the 45th anniversary of the release of their album, Waiting for Columbus. You can find out more about the band at littlefeet.com. They will be in concert Thursday evening at Temple Live in Fort Smith. You can find out more about that show at templelive.com. KUAF is supported by Greenacre Easy Living, a small assisted living located in Rogers and serving the elderly of Arkansas under the same ownership since 1992, 631-1552 or 
GreenAcreEasyLiving.com for more information. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season Saturday, December 10th with two performances of its annual Christmas concert at Walton Arts Center. Performing a mix of holiday favorites under the baton of maestro Paul Haas, musicians will also be joined on stage by the Sona singers and other guests. Tickets at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. The Giving Tree is up, the KUAF and Friends Holiday Giveaway is live, and we've compiled our best live music performances of the year into a KUAF live CD compilation. That can only mean one thing. It's the season of giving here at KUAF. Beginning Monday, December 5th, KUAF will kick off our season of giving fundraiser. Looking to raise $50,000 to pay for programming like Ozarks at Large, Fresh Air, All Things Considered, and more. You've enjoyed all year long. Support everything you get from your public radio station by contributing during the season of giving fundraiser beginning Monday, December 5th, at 6 a.m. In the interest of full disclosure, I think we should tell people the giving the giving tree is not actually up yet. It will be. It is up in our minds, Kyle. Okay. <laughs> I think we put it up this afternoon. Yeah, this afternoon it's going to go up. So if you're listening to the 7 o'clock show, disregard what I just said. <laughs> it's up. Uh, tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, a story of women spies during the Cold War. She had this story to tell me that was so surprising. It was about a Nazi war criminal and then this shadowy American woman whose name she did not know, who she was not related to, but who had this very crazy story. And it struck me because there have been so many books written about women in World War II and even more about men who've worked in intelligence. But very little has been written about female intelligence officers, particularly during the Cold War period. Nathalia Holt discusses her new book, Wise Gals, The Spies Who Built the CIA and Changed the Future of Espionage. While the news from 2022 has often been hectic. That's what it sounded like in Kiev this morning as Ukrainians faced down the reality of a Russian invasion. The biggest change to abortion rights in the United States in nearly half a century we're learning more about yesterday's FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago, home to former President Donald Something Trump. we hope you can be grateful for this season is our continued coverage. Every day, KUAF has brought you vital reporting from home. This month, the Arkansas Department of Education released letter grades for each school. And across the world. The World Cup is being played in the Middle East for the first time. Qatar. We're grateful for listeners like you who help public radio flourish. This holiday, you can fill your homes, cars, or earbuds with sounds, voices, and stories that are only available thanks to independent public radio. So thank you for listening to and supporting KUAF. Happy holidays. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Spring Valley. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Roby Brock, Josie Lenora and Daniel Carruth. Daniel provided information and sound regarding the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank. You can hear Daniel deliver news from all over the region every weekday morning at 5.30 and 7.30 during Morning Edition. Additional material today came from the News Department at KUAR, Public Radio for Central Arkansas and Little Rock. Tomorrow, I'm going to talk with Timothy Dennis about the CD yeah, that will be C- available during next week's fundraiser. Yeah, it's it's great because it's it's actually a two-part CD. So mm-hmm. we've got live performances from Furman Garner, and we'll also have performances from The Lunch Hour. Yeah, so 
I don't know, if you've got a double CD that's like 20 songs, they can only get on the CD. Yeah, that's right. Also, tomorrow we'll have an excerpt from the latest uh, edition of Undisciplined. That's right, yeah. We're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Calvin White. Uh, he talks a lot about his research. He's working on a new book uh, and his history growing up in uh, the church and how that kind of uh, led to the research he went on to talk about. So really good conversation there. Tonight I'll be talking to Fran Leibowitz, or if you're hearing our evening edition, I am talking to Fran Leibowitz (laughs) right now. Uh, Looking forward to that at Walton Art Center. When you have to ask questions to someone who's been asked a lot of questions, Mm -hmm. what is your number one goal? Okay. So, I, that's as a, I sit here asking questions to someone who's asked, been asked a lot of questions, I want to not ask um, the things that that person has already been asked. Yeah. You want, though, the audience, who's in this case paid money to see this conversation, right. to be entertained. There is a Q&A afterwards, so mm-hmm. if I don't get to a question or a topic that someone in the audience says, they'll get a chance to ask. But you don't want to bore the person, but you don't want to go so far afield that it's just weird, right? You have to you have to run that fine line of like you don't want to uh, alienate anyone who's in the audience who may not know something extremely specific that you're right. asking about, but you don't want to be so broad that people aren't entertained. I'm not going to ask about working with Andy Warhol, and it also depends how the conversation goes, right? Sure. So I'll have five or six questions that are ready to go, um, and we'll see where we go from there. Well, I look forward to hearing about it tomorrow. Okay, I look forward to it. We are going to go out uh, today with some music from Little Feet uh, from the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 inside the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us. Your mama says keep away. I got to tell you truthful girl, you can never make me stay. I got something.